Welcome to the Mobile Dev Memo Podcast. I am your host, Eric Sufert. My guest for today's episode is Garrett Johnson, who is a professor at the Questrom School of Business at Boston University. Garrett is a researcher in the digital advertising space. In that context, Garrett has collaborated with several tech companies, including Yahoo, Google, and Facebook. Garrett also participates in the discussions at the W3C around post-cookie advertising. I've been following Garrett on Twitter for quite some time, and I enjoy his deeply researched and clearly articulated insights on the digital advertising ecosystem. Garrett and I also recently collaborated, along with a third author, Julian Runge, on a short paper on the various privacy policy changes that are impacting the digital marketing landscape. In this episode of the Mobile Dev Memo podcast, I discuss with Garrett the economics of advertising auctions. I find that the auction dynamic is one of the most poorly understood aspects of digital marketing for practitioners. Most advertisers are so intently focused on their own business objectives that they ignore the machinations of ad platforms that are invisible to them. But the auction mechanic is the beating heart of digital advertising, and it determines the pricing that advertisers pay for ad inventory. I'm happy to record this foundational, evergreen episode because I think it might help to inform a broader discussion about pricing and digital advertising generally, and to explain how it is that ad platforms don't set prices. Please enjoy this conversation with Garrett Johnson. Garrett, how are you? Good. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. I have just introduced you um, in the intro segment to this podcast, but why don't you take a second and introduce yourself to the audience in your own words? Okay. Uh, my name is Garrett Johnson. I am a assistant professor at the Question School of Business at Boston University. Uh, I'm in a marketing department. My research examines digital advertising. Uh, one part of my research measures ad effectiveness using large-scale experiments. And the other part of my research uh, focuses on the privacy issues in the space. And so I have a lot of research on the GDPR and the value of cookies. Uh, but actually, my dissertation was about um, analyzing ad auctions empirically. And so happy today, happy to talk today about um, advertising auctions. Great. And um, I'm really excited to have this conversation. Like, like you noted, um, we've, we've collaborated on a paper. Um, but uh, I, 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 this is kind of a pet topic of mine, ad auctions, because I feel like it, there, are, there are a lot of aspects of digital advertising that are like totally inscrutable to non-practitioners, non-observers. Uh, non um, but this one is probably the most meaningful, I think, because it, there's a, a lot of legislation that's really relevant to digital advertising right now, or like, you know, potential legislation or legislation that's being uh, considered. And um, I feel like just that lack of awareness has the potential to lead to really bad legislation. Um, and it's not just like a lack of understanding on the part of advertisers, because that's, that's very acute as well. I mean, I think, you know, if you walk into like most digital advertising teams, um, and you just sort of like pick someone out random and you ask them how an ad auction works, they wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, but that's fine because they're just spending money and, and really they're sort of optimizing to business metrics and, and they can do that without understanding the underlying mechanics. But when you're writing legislation or you're writing regulations, I think it is important to deeply understand this dynamic um, because that it you know, that really determines the level of control that these platforms have over the pricing. And then when you start talking about monopolies or monopsomies, which we'll talk about in later um, in the discussion, then, then, then that becomes very relevant. So I'm really happy to have an expert on the podcast and I'm really happy uh, specifically to be talking to you today. Sounds great. So let me just lob a softball at you uh, to kick off the conversation. Why do ad platforms use auctions to sell advertising in the first place? Uh, that's a great question. So the core reason is price discovery. Um, advertising platforms don't have to know the price of inventory of a specific uh, search keyword at a given time. And so there's no one at Google, for instance, whose job it is to calculate the price of someone searching for cookie delivery um, at a certain important point in time. It's nobody's job to figure out what that price would be at Mother's Day versus uh, at Christmas or just here today on February 7th. And so what auctions do is they allow uh, the market participants, which is the advertisers, to uh, provide some signals about their value of uh, the object that's up for sale. And that's what determines the price. And the big virtue of this is that it's uh, also very scalable. And so when you have billions of ad auctions, whether it be on search or display, um, this is something that uh, moves very quickly with that uh, increased scale. 
Right. And when we talk about an auction, I think, you know, most people's minds, um, you know, gravitate towards like what you see in a movie or something with like the, 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 the machine gun paste, you know, uh, mm-hmm. voice of a, of an auctioneer. Um, it t- tell me, can you walk, walk us through like the, the actual like mechanics of these ad auctions, right? Like how, how they're processed, um, how bids are submitted, um, you know, and, and generally how they, you know, how they come to a, uh, a winner, uh, in terms of like, who gets, who gets to place an ad in the impression. Yeah. So if we start with the, the movie version of the ad auction, as you put it, um, a seller is going to have something for sale, like a piece of art or a cow, and the buyers are going to be bidding on that object and the highest bidder is going to win. And that has the virtue that this auction is efficient. So the person that values the object the most is the one that gets the object. Um, When we move from the movie version of auctions to advertising auctions, um, one of the main complications is just speed. Um, So, you know, you you mentioned the machine gun pace that the auctioneer would be doing things in a a movie. Um, Well, in ad auctions, these auctions are happening in less than 0.1 seconds. And so that speed um, changes the auction. It, it uh, changes how the auction's being run. It's basically being run by computers instead of by people. Um, and another big difference is just the scale of this. So there's billions of ad auctions every day on the major ad exchanges, uh, which is a platforms that, that sell these um, ad impressions at auction. And so this is exciting for an economist like myself that studies auctions. Um, because this is the most used of the, the largest use of auctions in, in history. This is there's much more auctions than there are transactions on financial markets um, because of these ad auctions. So um, those are some key differences. Well, I think another key difference is probably consequential too, is that, you know, when you submit a bid, first of all, I mean, like, it, you know, it, it's, it's sort of an, um, implied in the name, like RTB, like real time bidding. When you, when you, when you, when, when, uh, participants in the auction are bidding, they're all doing it at the same time, right? Versus like, if you go to, um, I went to like a, a charity event um, a couple couple weeks ago and and I got a, it's kind of ridiculous. I got like a photo of Willie Nelson that I just, I, don't, I was convinced them in that moment that I needed it. Um, uh, <laughs> but I couldn't name a single Willie Nelson song. Um, anyway, uh, but that it was, it was sequential, right? So somebody bids and then you, you bid higher than they did, uh, and now you're the winner. And then someone bids higher than you did. It, it's it's happening in a, in a sequence, right? Versus like a real time auction where all the bids are coming in at the same time. And and you know, there's another um, component to that, which is that like, I, well, I know what the guy before me bid, right? And and you know, I I heard it, I you know, and that's why I responded. Um, versus like in a real time bidding environment, I'm I'm just bidding sort of without any knowledge of what um, other people might bid. Can can you? Talk to me about how that kind of changes the dynamics of an auction. Yeah, one big difference is that uh, you don't see other people's bids, as you put it, and uh, especially for uh, certain things you might worry, be worried about. Like, uh, for instance, one thing you might be worried about is if the ad impression is fraudulent, and if you had, uh, if you were able to observe the bids of the other bidders, you would. Be able to infer on the basis of that what other people's beliefs are about whether or not the ad impression is fraudulent. So um, that is one uh, difference. I mean, you do get some signals, so you should find out if the if you won the auction and the price that you paid. Um, so you can do some learning on the basis of that kind of information. Um, but I, another part of this kind of connected to you, to what you're saying here is that these auctions are quite ephemeral, right? We're not sitting around and thinking about this, you know, Willie Nelson picture that we just bought this, you know, there's a flow of billions of these impressions, uh, billions of these auctions, the decisions are made in real time. And it just creates such a tremendous volume of data that uh, even the the data, uh, the simple data about like what is the price you're paying for an individual auction, uh, frequently from the perspective of an advertiser, you're seeing a roll up of that. It's it's takes some effort if you want to try to get like the ad impression or ad um, auction level data. And can you talk to me about 
and I'm, I'm approaching, you know, this question from like the perspective of someone, you know, and, and I'm not an expert by any means, but like, I know something about auctions. Um, but I'm kind of approaching this question, uh, from like the perspective of someone that doesn't know anything. Right. So like, and, and this is, I feel like, you know, when I talk to practitioners, like advertisers, people that work at, you know, companies and spend money, this is the, the topic that's like least understood by them is, you know, first price versus second price auction. So can you, first of all, just explain what those two things are. Um, and then also talk to me about why many digital app ad platforms tend to run on second price auction models versus first price. Okay. So that's a, that's a good question and a big question. So, uh, Fundamentally, um, in, in whether you run a first price auction or a second price auction, the winner is the, uh, the advertiser or buyer that has the highest bid. The key difference is that in a first price auction, uh, the winner pays their bid. So if they're bidding $10 and that's the highest uh, bid in the auction, then they're going to be paying $10 for the object. Um, but a second price auction is a case where the winner pays the next highest bid. So second price refers to the second highest uh, bidder's bid. So if the highest uh, uh, bid was still $10, um, the winner would not pay $10, they'd pay the next highest bid, which suppose could be $5. Now, uh, one thing that I think people's immediate intuition here is that if you're trying to sell something, that you wanna be in a first price auction because uh, $10 sounds like it's higher than $5. Um, and one thing that's kind of surprising is that um, these two auctions, if bidders are in some sense the same, um, they return the same revenue. So uh, in that sense, the choice of auction is, is not too consequential. Um, to think about this, I think it's useful to think about, about how you would bid in a first price or second price auction. So. Um, question for you, Eric, if you value this Willie Nelson painting at $10 or a picture at $10, um, how much you, would you be willing to, to bid for that Willie Nelson picture in a first price auction? Uh, $10. Well, if you bid $10 and you value it at $10 and you win the auction, um, if you're paying $10 and you value it at $10, that means that the the surplus or additional kind of profit that you're getting is zero, right? Right. So uh, because of that, you wouldn't want to bid more than $10 because you you say that you visit, you you value this Willie Nelson picture at $10. You'd want to bid less than $10. So you'd end up bidding something like $5 or $7, depending on basically you're, you're trading off the profit that you get when you win the auction versus the chance that you lose the auction by bidding too low. So let's try the second price auction. So now let's suppose that you um, are bidding in a second price auction and you still value the Willie Nelson picture at $10. What would you want to bid in the second price auction? $10. $10. Well, this ends up being a very good, this is end up being exactly right. So you wouldn't want to bid uh, say $15, because if you won the auction at $15, then you'd be losing $5 or losing, I suppose, if the auction, if the bid in between was $13, you'd be losing $3. So you don't want to bid over. Um, you also don't want to bid under because if you uh, bid $5 for this thing and someone outbids you at $8, then you could have bid $10 and you could have got that you know $2, extra $2 that you value this uh, picture at. So the fundamental difference then is that in first price, you shade your bid. So you don't tell your true valuation. You, you uh, report a bid that's less than your true valuation. But in the second price auction, you actually bid your true valuation. And so going back to this idea that these uh, auctions are revenue equivalent or return the same amount of money to the seller, um, the reason that happens is that in the first price auction, people are going to be bidding less than in the second price auction. So you end up with effectively the same revenue. Uh, so then there's a the question of like, what should an ad platform use? And traditionally ad platforms, uh, at least they start out by running second price auctions. And a big reason for this is that it simplifies the auction if you can bid your valuation. So if you just think for this Willie Nelson picture, I'm going to bid $10, you don't have to worry about, you know, what are all the other bids that I could be facing for this? 
so that you can optimally shade your bid or optimally bid less than your valuation. So the major advantage um, from an advertiser perspective is um, simplicity. It's much less of a headache. Now, um, there is starting to be a shift towards first price auctions in this marketplace. And uh, the reason for that is, um, is that basically in a second price auction, there can be an incentive for the auctioneer or the seller to cheat. So if you think about this case of this uh, Willie Nelson picture for $10 and you're um, bidding in a second price auction, well, suppose that the second highest bid is $1. Well, then the seller makes a dollar and, uh, and you get you know, a $9 surplus. And if you're in a room full of people at a charity auction and this auction has a certain amount of integrity, then that's no problem. But if you're um, bidding in an auction that's happening billions of times for which you're maybe not getting detailed data um, and where you're not getting the data of all the uh, bidders in the auction, then there's a huge um, incentive to cheat and for this, the seller or the auctioneer to say, well, actually the second price was $9 because then you know, I make $9 as a seller or the auctioneer, and uh, you get that $1 uh, surplus from uh, winning this, this uh, auction. And it's hard, to, uh, it's hard to catch this bad behavior if you're not getting detailed access to what everybody's doing in this auction. And so you know, the virtue of the first price is that you know that People aren't cheating because you're 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 bidding say seven dollars for this Willie Nelson painting and you're getting it for for seven dollars. Right, and um, also pointing out that you, there's there's probably a difference in bidder approach in like a you know commercial setting versus a charity auction, right? Uh, yes. Uh, um, okay, so t- I want, one one thing I want to kind of just touch upon, but we'll kind of unpack in more detail later is, is that idea of value, right? So like, um, and I think it's actually kind of apropos of the, the Willie Nelson, uh, uh, example, because, you know, that was very much just driven by some personal, very personal, very, uh, subjective sense of value, right? Like someone might really love Willie, it, it, the, the painting is going to, the picture is going to hang on someone's wall, right? It's not going to be resold. Most likely it's just going to sit there and be enjoyed. Um, and so that's, you know, the, 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 the bids are going to be very much a function of that subjective valuation, right? Like the, whatever the sentimental value or, or, or the, you know, the value as a, as a fan or whatever. Um, and it's not, you know, this is not a commodity. This is not a commodity that's going to be then input to a machine. The, the sense of value is abstract. It's, it's not concrete in terms of like what's, what's going to, what it's going to be used to produce. Right. And, and what I find really fascinating about, you know, the auction environment for, you know, digital products, right, is that, well, like any digital product is also very much like that. The dynamics of value are very much like that, right? If I create, if I have a, my digital product, um, you know, monetizes very well, right? Like in terms of the average value of a user in my product is worth, you know, some X and, and, and in your product it doesn't monetize that well, the, for whatever reason, like it just, it just doesn't produce as much value on a per user basis. And so the, the per user average value of, uh, created with, with like a new user is, is, is Y, right. When Y, Y is less than X now, well, we're going to bid different amounts right just just because there's a there's a fundamental difference between the value that we're going to derive from that impression yeah so i think it's worth separating those two things so there's uh, a lot of rich things that are happening on the advertiser side to convert their you know as objective as they can make it valuation for the ad to an, an actual bid in the auction and i think that's fairly separate from the um, whether it's a first price auction or a second price auction because regardless you have to um, compute what is your valuation for the object. And the only difference is that in a second price auction, you can truthfully report that valuation. And in a first price auction, you have this additional step of having to have a sense of what is the chance that you're going to win the auction for a given bid. Um, so yeah, I think it's probably best to separate those and have and talk about each of those separately. Okay. Well, I mean, let's put it, I mean, let's put aside the, the optimization on the advertiser part, because that's, you know, that's, that's, a, that, yeah, you're right. That's a totally separate subject, but um, you know, I guess, I guess what I'm asking is, you know, could, could you a, accommodate that, that differential? Cause I mean, the thing is 
you know, if, and, and this, this is, you know, when you talk about specifically apps, right? Like mobile apps that, you know, participate in this ecosystem, you know, the, the a point I make a lot is like a lot of times, like the success is seen as like a function of the, the excellence or the, the, the expertise of the UA team, but it's not really the UA team is executing against some, some value creation right that the app produces now we're talking to other consumer products and then especially like cpg retail is totally different right um but like with an app you know zero marginal production costs um you know it's so the 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 the, the sort of economic value is is just whatever the app is able to kind of uh, uh achieve right like or or sort of provide to the user that that they then match with with money um and so you know i guess like my question is like, could this be achieved in any other way, right? Like just this this allocation of of ass of of impressions, this allocation of of distribution potential on the basis of like value generation from the app, um, which which should match, you know, just general like enthusiasm on the user part, right? Like I like this so much, I'm willing to give you this much money um, in a freemium setting. Like, is there any other way to do that? To like to do that in an efficient way than a second price auction. Because to me, the first price auction seems like it messes that up. So again, I probably want to separate the ideas again here. So on the auction side, I think what is uh, powerful about programmatic and power about, powerful about uh, real-time bidding is that you can very efficiently match users to advertisers. So if you believe that you have a mobile app and you found you know, one of the whales out there that you think is a really good match for your app, then you can bid up the price for that in a way that you would not be able to do if you're bidding, uh, buying large bundles of advertising uh, through non-programmatic means. Now, the for the first price, second price thing, um, again, you have a valuation for that for that user, which is high because you think that user is a whale. Um, you in a in a um, in a second price auction, you kind of you don't have to know what everybody else is bidding, and so it's uh, easier to compute your bid in a first price auction. If you know everybody has a lot of information, you'd expect it on average to be efficient, uh, meaning the person that values this user is the one that gets the user. Um, in practice, there is going to be mistakes with some regularity because uh, you have to learn the probability that you're going to win uh, the auction. So if you think that you know I'm the only one that knows this person is a whale, and you bid. Um, 50 cents instead of $10, when you value this at $10, then I mean, you, there's a, you're, you're trading off again, the chance that you win that user and get a, a very large profit for that user with the probability that you lose that auction um, because someone else thinks that that user is valuable. So yeah, I, I, again, I think that the first price, second price is kind of distinct from those issues. Okay, uh, moving on. So, uh, you know, part of the, part of the, the sort of genesis of this conversation is, um, you know, j just a, 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 a kind of frustration with, with hearing, you know, this idea that um, ad platforms, whatever, they raise prices or they, they charge, uh, you know, sort of like uh, super competitive prices or, or they, 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 uh, you know, they, they sort of like in some way control the price of the inventory that they sell and, and, um, and are able to sort of generate, you know, abnormal profits as a result of that. Right. And, and, you know, that's, that's just like manifestly not true. Right. But I kind of want to unpack that in more detail. So do you talk to, talk to me about, you know, how are ad platforms price takers, right. And, and in what ways are they not? Yeah, so I agree with, uh, at a high level, your thesis here that they are not um, price setters because they are using, they're kind of letting the auction set the price for them. And by doing so, it's the competition from advertisers that are setting that price. And so if there's better prices to be found elsewhere, whether it be on Facebook or Google or, or on the open web, then that money will follow those better opportunities. Um, now, the sense in which there's some nuance here is that the ad platforms do have some control over what the, the total price ends up being or the final price ends up being through two means. Uh, the first is that they set reserve prices, which is just a, a floor. They say, you know, I'm not going to accept a price below uh, $3 CPM for this impression. 
Um, and the second way that this can happen is that the advertisers are actually, or pardon me, the platforms are, are in some cases bidding on behalf of the advertisers. And uh, that is, you know, a, a pretty unusual thing to think about if we're thinking about a um, the movie version of an auction. But again, the fundamental problem here is that these bids need to be computed in less than 0.1 seconds. And so advertisers or human beings are not going to be making those choices. It's got to be computers. And those computers either have to be the platform's computers or the ad platform has to be connected to another platform with these computers to compute these bids. So this is a, a, certainly a little bit unusual, but um, you know these platforms are incentivized to bid on behalf of their advertisers in intelligent ways. Right. I mean, incentivized because you know if if like at the end of the month the advertiser gets a bill and it's like, oh my god, you know, I generated you know less than a third of this in revenue or whatever, then I'm going to stop spent. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was like that. You know, when Facebook introduced auto bid. And I mean, I'm just speaking from my own experience here. Um, you know, it was like, well, wait a second. <laughs> Why would I ever do that? Right. Like the, the incentives are kind of weird there. Right. Um, but I, I mean, it, and, and, you know, if you, there's a lot of people that, you know, will swear off auto bid, they'll never use it. Um, but I, and, and I think there's, there's specific cases where um, it doesn't make sense to use it, but at the same time, I mean, like I would operate on just like, you know, kind of empirical, empirical results, right. And empirical just observable performance, right? If it works, it works. You know, that was always my, you know, my general sense is like, if you think about, there's like tense, you know, per perfect alignment of incentives um, that happens between the ad platforms and the advertisers, right? The ad platforms want to want to deliver uh, performance to the advertiser, right? But, but only just enough, right? They don't want to like over deliver, right? So like if I'm set, if I'm giving you a target, you want to sort of just hit that target. Right. And, and there's, you know, there's, cause there's going to be a whole lot of, of the auctions, right. Where there's probably like, I, I you know, basically like the, the, the sort of average performance, regardless of the performance of any individual conversion or, or, or uh, uh, auction just needs to sort of land at my target, because if it lands at my target, then, then I'm profitable or whatever. I've hit my, I've hit my standard, my, my ROI standard, right? Like I've hit, I've hit it. If, if you, if I give you just a target, conversion price and you hit that, then I've made whatever my 10%, you know, uh, uh, profit, right. And I've hit my, my, that, my, that ROI target bakes in some profit, right. And I've hit that. And, and, and I don't really care if it, you know, and the ad platform is, so it's, it's incentivized to hit that target because that keeps them spending, but it's not really incentivized to hit a, you know, a target higher than that, or to, to give more, uh, ROI than that, because, well, uh, you know, that means that like sort of, they probably left a little bit of money on the table, right? Like they, they could have probably uh, had some of those auctions could have uh, gone the wrong, you know, the wrong way. More of those auctions could have gone the wrong way for the advertiser, but in aggregate, um, you know, the, the, the ROI was higher than the advertiser demanded. And so, and who knows if, if that's going to result in them spending more money or not. Right. Do you, do you, uh, I, I don't know if I articulated that very well, but it's basically like the general sense is like the advertiser needs to perform to the expectations of the advertiser because that keeps them spending. But if they sort of outperform that, they're probably losing money that they could have made. Yeah, there's there's there's, um, you know, kind of different targets that you can rotate this around. So um, I certainly so one part of this that I certainly agree with is that uh, there's a lot of incentives in advertising markets to uh, show up with a budget and to exhaust that budget. So, you know, ad agencies, if you give them like $100,000, they're not going to be like, okay, well, we spent the first $50,000. And, you know, we just didn't feel right about spending the extra 50,000. It's, it's all right. going to go out the door. So uh, that certainly exists as an incentive. I think the, the promise of these performance advertising platforms is that if you say, you know, find me as many users uh, that um, are worth at least $5 to me, um, they should be finding users at that price for which, you know, the, the marginal user, which is worth exactly $5 to you is costing exactly $5 to you. And the additional users beyond that um, should have some profit associated with them. So I don't think that they necessarily want to compete necessarily want to, or can compete away all of the, uh, the, the, the profit to an advertiser if they come in with that kind of preferences um, nor would they want to, right? Because other platforms can find um, additional users at that price that would be beneficial to the advertiser. 
Um, but you know, there's a, there's a dance here that's happening because of these, you know, incentives on the advertising platform side and on the advertiser side for sure. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I guess that that's a better way of putting it, right? Like to think about it from like a, a counting users perspective, I could give you 10 users, um, you know, that are each worth, uh, $10 to you. Right. And, and so you bid a hundred dollars and you're just bidding on like a break even basis or whatever. Um, or, you know, I could give you 50 users that are worth, you know, $2 each. Right. Um, and, and the question is like, well, there, you could, and you could also just like mix and match, right. And create different combinations. And, and the ad platform I think is, is, is incentivized, um, you know, to, to sort of do whatever it takes to exhaust that budget that you've set, right. Cause you've set a budget, right. You said, this is how much I'm willing to spend. And so you've already signaled them like, well, if, you know, you spend this much, all you have to do is land on my profit target, right? And so, like, if the first twenty, you, yeah. So, like, if if you if if the advert if the advertising platform ends up delivering, uh, you know, fifty users to me, and the first ten were really really profitable, and the next forty uh, were were not so much, and maybe some of them even lose me money. So long as that group of fifty, um, which which you know that that uh, ate up the whole budget to acquire that, uh, hit, hit landed on my ROI target, then I'm sort of I mean, I know that because I'll see that within my own internal analytics, but I'm, I'm also like not going to complain, right? Because I, I gave you a target and you hit it and you exhausted the whole budget to do that, right? Versus just giving me the first 10, it's like, hey, look, these are super profitable. You know, the next 40 are going to actually be unprofitable. So we'll just give you the 10, keep the rest of your budget, um, you know, and, and, uh, and, and thanks for doing business with us. Well, that wouldn't be in their best interest. Yeah, I think what this highlights is just the importance of the, what the target is and aligning incentives between the advertiser and the platform. And we actually have a, a paper about this called um, cost for incremental action. So the price model that's being used uh, fundamentally in these auctions is cost per impression or CPM. Um, one way that you've mentioned that you can connect this to an advertiser that's trying to maximize conversions is uh, through cost per conversion purchasing, which just takes the value of a conversion, multiplies it by the probability that the user is gonna convert uh, to compute a bid. And all of these things have limitations because if you tell an ad platform to find as many ad impressions as they can for you, then um, there's no requirement that those ads have to be good quality or that they're viewable or they're seen by humans. Um, and if you tell an ad platform to maximize the number of conversions, well, that seems intuitive, like that would be a good thing if you, you know, value app installs at $2 and you can get as many users to, to purchase um, your app. Uh, the problem with that is that is, is incrementality. So um, one negative incentive that can create is it can basically incentivize the ad platform to find people that look like they're just about to install your app and show them ads and try to take credit for that. And so one of the things we advocate is that advertisers should care about the value created by their, their ads, the incremental value created by their ads. And so they should um, tell the platform to optimize based on the incremental increase in revenue that they get for advertising rather than just the increase in, in revenue. But now we're starting to go down some of these rabbit holes, which can be fun, but maybe takes us away from our focus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, let's stay on track uh, and reserve the uh, rabbit holes for uh, when we meet in person. Um, okay. So we've talked about this kind of offline Um but I wanted to bring it up. So what do you, what do you think about my idea that demand from direct response advertisers is perfectly elastic? And, and let me, let me, let me caveat that because that obviously doesn't make sense broadly. So I'm an app advertiser, right? So zero marginal cost of production. I can sell you, I can sell you an app and it costs me, I can sell you a copy of my app and it costs me $0. Um, I have like a derived LTV, right? So there's for your for this specific campaign, right? The specific campaign that I'm running on, on a platform, you know, with, with some set of, you know, targeting parameters. And, and I, and I'm very certain about that LTV. Like it's, 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 you know, maybe yeah. you should explain LTV to the, to the uninitiated. I hope everyone listening to this knows what LTV means. So the lifetime value is just a, just a, uh, you know, a projection of the, an estimate of the revenue that, a that, a uh, a specific a user will 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 generate and i mean i could talk about that for talk about a rabbit hole that's like the ultimate rabbit hole the, uh, the sentence definition is much more helpful than the three letters for the uninitiated right right so it's, it's just some prediction on my part of the value of a marginal user from a campaign right which is the way that i'm using it now 
Um, but yeah. it could be at any point in time. It could be from the the day the the second they open my product. It could be after you know them using the product for six six months and me just using that data to calculate this this LTV. But usually there's some set of inputs, um, you know, related uh, to, to demographic features or behavioral, uh, uh, patterns or, or history, um, that are sort of, you know, input into a model. And then the model spits out like an estimate of the, of the sort of future lifetime value of that, of that user. Right. And, and that can be uh, time index too. So a lot of times, um, like on a user acquisition team, we're talking about like day 90 LTV. That just basically means day 90 ARPU, like the amount of revenue that, you know, some cohort will generate, or some user will generate. Usually, it's not on a user basis; it's just on a cohort basis, right? Uh, yeah. So some group, some group, right? On on average, right? Now, there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of math that can be applied there, but it's you know let's leave it let's leave it at that. So let's say that I have some LTV number that I'm very confident about for some for some campaign on some platform, right? And like um, now, let's say that just to make it easier, uh, this hypothetical. Let's say that like my the LTV is a is a thirty day LTV or or it's it's a fifteen day LTV or something like some, something that it's like it's within the month. So I I basically whatever I spend this month I'm I'm gonna make it back in the same month. And so I'm basically getting paid almost like in real time. Like forget about like timelines of of payments from like the app store or whatever or uh you know just payment terms. But basically like, as I spend it I'm getting it back. I effectively have like infinite budget. Right, I have infinite budget because I and 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 assuming that that LTV doesn't degrade over time as it inevitably would. If I spent 10x what I spent last month, I'm probably going to start reaching less and less relevant users, and the LTV is going to degrade. But let's pretend it doesn't. Right, so now I've caveated this uh, pretty substantially. Right, so only digital products. Uh, LTV is you know within the month, so I have basically infinite budget to spend, and the LTV doesn't degrade as my ad spend increases. Like none of those things are realistic. But let's say that they were. Like, so my, my, I'm, I basically like, am have like perfectly elastic kind of spend price sensitivity on your platform. I, like if I can get, and let's say that LTV is 10 bucks and, and all I want to do is break even, right? I don't, I just want to make the money back. I don't want to make a profit. It's 10 bucks. I can bid 10 bucks. And as, as long as I'm winning that auction, I could just keep spent. I got, I, I, I will buy infinite amount of inventory from you at that price. But if it's one penny higher, it will not buy any. Does that, is that, does that make sense? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like if you're talking about a, a single auction or if you know exactly the value of uh, that object that's for sale, then as soon as the, the price exceeds your valuation, you're out. Right. But uh, talk, talk to me about uh, you know multiple auctions. Yeah. So where things get a little bit more interesting is that if you... In, in digital advertising, you, you as a user, you see multiple ads. And as a, as a buyer in that auction, you are trading off this um, value you have for this user with the amount of budget that you have left to spend, um, which in this case is, is infinite. Um, but even still, you still have some beliefs about how, um, how the, the chance that you're going to see this user again and whether you should show the ad you know, now or later, depending on what your beliefs about the price are going to be now or later. So that's certainly one, one reason. Another thing is ad frequency. So probably a part of your valuation is that like the first ad you show somebody is really valuable. The hundredth ad you show somebody is really not valuable. Um, and so you know, if ad platforms, for instance, were trying to increase the price by increasing the, the reserve price or the price floor, um, you wouldn't totally vanish all of the ad impressions for the marketplace. You would just uh, decrease the, the demand for uh, those ad impressions um, because advertisers would, would um, reduce the number of ads that they purchase. They reduce them their, the number of ad frequency per user. Right. I, actually, you know, it, it's funny because another topic that I feel like is poorly understood by advertising teams is that the, the notion that you just touched upon, which is, um, you know, like fr frequency, right? Like, so, you know, the, the, the idea being that like, I, sh you know, I show a bunch of people my ad, right? I show a thousand people my ad in the second, right? And, or like in this, in, the, in a minute or in 10 minutes or whatever. And well, the people that are most receptive are gonna click on it and they're gonna do whatever they do, right? They're gonna go and install my app or they're gonna go to my website and you know buy something. And it's just the most relevant people are gonna react in that, they're gonna react quickly. And now, now they're out of the pool, right? They've already seen the ad, they've already done the thing. Um, so they're either out of the pool because the ad platform is very good at not targeting you know users that have already installed the app or done the thing. Or they're out of the pool because we're well, not going to click it again because they've seen it. So like any in further impressions they see are kind of wasted. And so like the, the the so take them out of the pool and the rest of the pool is less relevant, right? So now I got to show these people, 
you know, and add again, cause they didn't click the first time and the pool is smaller. Right. Um, and, and, you know, some of them will convert like, Oh yeah, I saw that. And I wasn't ready to click, but now I am. And they click. So they're out of the pool. The, the people that like were reluctant clickers. Right. And then what you've got left is just no one, the people that are not going to ever click. Right. And, and I think that, that idea that like, well, I can just double my spend and I can hold all these other performance KPIs are going to hold. Right. Uh, that, that's a horrible assumption that costs people a lot of money. But the problem is, especially for like freemium apps, you know, it, it actually requires a lot of data to, to generate like some meaningful timeline LTV um, be, just because of retention curves and, and the way that, you know, the just sort of decreasing exponential shape. Um, and so like, well, if you, you want to double your ad spend, you really need to figure out what the LTV is going to be, um, for that, that change, right. For that new pool of people that you're, you're, you're going to be reaching, you know, potentially multiple times or whatever, um, with this, with this increased, you know, sort of reach and, and it's going to take a long time to do that. You can't, uh, you know, you could just apply some like simple heuristics to it, but it's gonna take a long time to actually have like a credible model there. And you can't just, you can't just radically alter these campaign parameters, without expecting, you know, sort of radical changes to performance, but people do that all the time. And there's like three months later, it's like, oh, wow, when we made that big change, it actually produced cohorts that were, you know, much less valuable to us. Um, oh, well, and I, I just, it's just, it's always like kind of, you know, you can't make these big radical changes because the model has to be adapted to the new, uh, you know, in the new pool of users that you're, you're bringing into your product. Anyway, that's more of a rant than a question. Um, Extrapolation okay. is hard. It's good to be conservative when buying ads for many reasons. Well, talk about broken incentives. I mean, you, you, you know, when that doubling of budget happens, right? Right after a fundraise. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's like, you know, there's just all these other totally unrelated to the ad buying, you know, sort of part of the business and all these other decisions that, um, you know, sort of percolate down. Um, and it's like, wait a minute, why we just, you know, why, why the quality of the cohort drop? Well, cause you asked me to double the spend. Like, so of course I'm going to be reaching less relevant users and then try having that conversation, right? Like <laughs> that's when a new CMO gets brought in. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, we've also, you know, and we've talked about this, I think we've, 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 uh, you talked about this in, in, in sort of in DM and, and, and it's a, you know, common topic on, on, in ad tech Twitter, but um, talk to me about, you know, this idea that degraded ads targeting leads to decreased digital ad spend from direct response advertisers, right? So the targeting gets worse, you know, for whatever reason, targeting gets worse. I'm, you know, reaching less relevant users that causes me to pull back spend. So, or, or let's say it's, it's what I'm, what I'm talking about is the opposite of this idea that, you know, look, the targeting is, all just smoke and mirrors and people are going to spend what they're going to spend. They've got a budget. They're going to spend it. Um, the targeting either help. Some people say it doesn't help at all. It, it's, 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 it adds zero value. Some people say, well, it adds, it does add value, but you will find other avenues to spend the money. Just talk, for a direct response advertisers, talk to me about that relationship between the quality of the targeting or the relevance of the targeting and, and their ad spend. Yeah. So I, they're definitely highly related. Um, we've done some research looking at what happens when users opt out of targeting um, using the ad choices mechanism. And we found that when users do that, ad prices fall by 52%. And that number is in keeping with um, just about every study that's looked at the value of cookies in digital marketing and shows that you know prices fall on, on the order of 50% to all the way up to 70%. So there's a lot of research, and, the, and there's also just plain logic for this. Um, advertisers care about targeting, especially the direct response. They care about return investments. It's dollars in, dollars out. If they're not getting value, they're going to reduce their spend. Um, and you know, targeting gets a lot of the oxygen in the conversation around um, data and privacy and digital advertising. But um, targeting is enabled by having some sense of who the user is, having a, an identi identifier, whether it be a cookie or a mobile ID that, that tells you who the user is. And targeting is one use of that, but uh, equally or more important is the ability to measure and the ability to optimize campaigns. And so usually when you know, we're talking about greater privacy, um, it means reduced targeting measurement and optimization. And that's why you expect ad prices to fall quite a bit. Now, you say that there's some you know, mitigating circumstances. Of course, the market will, will adjust to this so that you know, what we see in the short run of this, excuse me, 52% um, wouldn't be quite so bad when the market adjusts, but uh, you know, that's a pretty, <laughs> there's a pretty dark tunnel to, to fall into um, 
if you're making your making your money this way. Right. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, I get you know, I so like I I come at this from just like the operator side, and it's it's just you know it's demonstrably true, right? I mean, what we, that's what we saw with ATT, like that's, that happened. Um, I don't know, like, it just, it seems weird to me that there's an argument against that because first of all, it just it seems obvious. Um, you know, obviously, you know, not everything that seems obvious is, is true, but, um, it just, it, it makes logical sense, you know, sort of on his face. And then, but that's what, what, that's what I've, that's what I've seen. That's what I know. Everyone I know that works in the space has seen. And so it's like, it's, it's really, um, borderline bizarre when people try to argue the opposite, right? Like, no, what you're, what you're seeing and experiencing is, is not the result of degraded ad targeting because their ad targeting was all a lie in the first place and there was no effectiveness to it. And, um, but, but something else must have happened that created this performance gap that you're witnessing or experiencing. It's just a very, very, uh, uh, it's a, it's a reality deranging, um, situation. Yeah. So Um, often the people making those, those claims have access to grind or their own incentives or their lobbying for a specific point of view, or they, um, think that privacy is really important, and I, I agree that privacy is really important. So I think that that's a reasonable point of view. Um, where I draw the line is that um, you need to be be honest with yourself about the trade offs between privacy and da- and the data economy. So yes, you can get rid of cookies on all ads, and you can have uh, or sorry on all websites and have full privacy, um, or you can do that in apps, but that is going to reduce the amount of money that content creators and app developers have to build their products, which is ultimately going to uh, harm consumers. So uh, I think if you're clear-eyed and you think that that trade-off is is a worthy trade-off, then I applaud you. Uh, But quite often what happens is that people um, try to find uh, numbers or facts that that fit their point of view such that um, if they think about privacy being really important, they want to try to say that the the value of, of cookies and the value of mobile IDs is really small. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that, that that's a problem from a public policy perspective. When you want to make good policy, you want to understand the, the trade-offs well. Well, that's a great segue into the next question. So, um, you know, there was this article um, in the Wall Street Journal last week, um, and it was talking about how the, the FTC might be kind of changing its approach um, in, in the way that it's um, attempting to regulate these big platforms by not by classing, classifying them as monopolies, but as monopsonies. Um, that is a very difficult word for me to pronounce. I don't know about you. Um, <laughs> take, take, taking your advice from LTV, I'll, I'll sort of lay out the definition as I understand it of a monopsony. Uh, so monopsony is in market situation in which there was only one buyer. So monopoly being a market situation where there's one seller, right? You're forced to buy from this this one seller and they can charge super competitive prices. Monopsony being there's only one one buyer, right? And what my my mind always kind of trains to the idea of like a company town when I think about a monopsony. You know, you get the one employer. He's like the, the it's a sole buyer of labor. And so they got to set terms, right? Like a, okay, but just talk to me about that. Because I thought that was interesting. Um and I don't know if that's a better argument from from like, you know, from from the perspective of what they want to accomplish, if it's a worse argument, but I would love to hear your your thoughts on it. Yeah, so I think that um, fundamentally, this is the the real issue here is is market power. So you could either have market power on one side of the market or the other side of the market, and depending on what side, you would possibly call it a monopoly or a monopsony. Um, I think in this market, it's a little bit different because you know to think of one monopsony argument, you might think of like a chip manufacturer. And we all know that there's a supply chain crisis now, and we drive by uh, car dealerships, and they're they're half empty or fully empty because these car manufacturers can't get chips. So if I was a chip manufacturer and it cost me five dollars to make a, a car chip, you know, instead of selling them for five dollars or ten dollars, I could send them sell them for two thousand dollars because that's you know the whole market is ground to a halt because of that. And that would be, um, you know, potentially a, a, an issue that regulators might worry about. Uh, is setting these prices too high is, is bad for consumers. Now, auctions kind of mitigate that possibility because the market is setting these these prices um, more so than the ad platform. 
Um, but there are issues that we can have with these auctions. So I, I mentioned at the beginning that one issue is integrity of these auctions, um, whether the auctioneer follows the, the rules uh, that they're supposed to follow for the auctions. Uh, there's other issues like tying. If a uh, company is on two sides of the market and they force you to use um, their other product, or if they're operating on multiple sides of the market simultaneously and they're sharing information across those things. So there's certainly you know, some, some issues there. Um, but you know, the one last thing I'll say is that there's all sorts of market power issues in this marketplace. So actually there's a, a recent paper in uh, the American Economic Review looking at the power on the advertiser side. And they look at, so because these auctions um, are complicated, Advertisers engage other companies to help them uh, bid. And so one shape that this takes is that not only do is there a lot of ad agencies out there, but there's fundamentally uh, groups of ad agencies under the, the headings of agency trading desks that are making decisions about what ads to buy. And so these researchers looked at what happens when these agency trading desks merge um, and what happens to the price for search ads. And they found that uh, effectively these agency trading desks seem to be in some way coordinating their bidding behavior such that uh, there's market power on the advertiser side of the marketplace and say that um, because of the merger and acquisition activity in that space, the platform revenue shrank by about 11%. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of market power on, on different sides of the uh, different sides of these platforms. Um, and it's, it's good to, to study some of the other issues in here, but um, if, if the auctions are running well, as they should, then I think that mitigates some concerns. Garrett, this was uh, a fascinating conversation. I think we probably could have easily extended it for another hour. Um, I appreciate you taking the time with me today. Where can people uh, read your work? Where can they engage with your writing? Where can they engage with you? Great. So um, first three letters of my first and last name, G-A-R-J-O-H, Garjo. You can find me on garjo.com. Um, and you can also follow me on Twitter at uh, Garjo Canuck, Canuck being because I'm Canadian. Um, so Garjo underscore Canuck. And uh, be great to, to hear from you. Great. And hopefully uh, people can very shortly read our, our paper with uh, written alongside Julian Runga. Um, I owe, I owe some work there, uh, which I am just uh, now remembering. Uh, so we'll hopefully get that done this week. Uh, Garrett, thank you so much for your time today. Awesome. Appreciate it. And I appreciate all that you do in this space. Uh, I've uh, encountered your writing over the last year and a half. And I think we are so lucky to have, uh, to have your voice in the public square. So keep it up. Thank you so much. Oh, very kind words. Thank you.